Hello friends and comrades, this is Rob in the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines, in the heart of the Delaware Way darkness. This is the Highlands Bunker Podcast. Super producer Carl is on the levels at a secure remote location. Our guest today is David Gobris. David is a Delaware native who, since 2017, has worked in many aspects of the legal cannabis industry, from grow houses and dispensaries to regulatory compliance, and even a stint uh, with infused cannabis fine dining, which I'm very interested in. We're going to discuss what works and what should be imitated and what doesn't work and what should be avoided as the Delaware General Assembly once again considers its own legal marijuana legislation. Uh, hello, David. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped about it. So you're you're from here. Um, tell us a little bit about your, your background. Like, where did you grow up here? What was it like? When did you move out? Yeah, so I uh, grew up uh, in Newark. Um, I uh, moved to uh, North Wilmington uh, when I was in high school into Wilmington Friends. Um, then I moved out to Colorado. I moved out here uh, permanently in uh, February of 2019, start working in the regulatory side of the weed industry after I graduated school. But I spent some uh, some time in the summers um, working on different different projects in Colorado before then, including um, uh, disposal of marijuana waste uh, and um, trying to bring more uh, sort of sustainable practices to the uh, growing side of the industry. Now, did you go to university out there or here or like what? I, I went uh, uh, in uh, Sarah Lawrence College up in New York. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I'm, I'm going to put this together just so, so you're as a Wilmington Friends guy, you're familiar with the Highlands uh, aesthetic here and the, and the fanciness over here. And of course, Sarah Lawrence is, uh, is it, what was called a very progressive uh, sort of open minded education, liberal education over there. So they're, that's there who turned me into the commie bastard I am today. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Everybody's got to have their, uh, you know, their, their thing that that works. That, that definitely works. Um, so so let's get into it. Um, I, I kind of want to review just really briefly um, the Delaware proposal, the law proposal as it sits, what the status of it is, and and then you know we can start kind of picking it apart for you know how it compares to things that have worked in other places and in, and in Colorado and and maybe not, and so we can kind of critique it in that sense. Um, so. First of all, the oversight is going to be done by basically alcohol and tobacco through Homeland Security. Um, I I hate the idea of that. Um, there'll be a new division for cannabis specifically in that sort of hierarchy. How does that compare to Colorado and, and some of the other places that have been legal for, say, over a year or two? Um, so in Colorado, it's actually handled by the Department of Revenue. Um as opposed to the Department of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and the CDPHE, which is uh, Colorado uh, Department of Health and Environment, um, they're also deeply involved in regulations and in issuing licenses, and you have to meet their standards to, uh, to get approved. Um, so it's a different department. Uh, it seems like 
the uh, actual text of the laws are fairly similar. Uh, there's some stuff that's that's good in there that uh, um, it might avoid the sort of pitfalls that we've run into here in Colorado. Um, that would be mostly uh, when it comes to the scrutiny of tracking. I mean, obviously, you're going to want to have you know inventories of of your product and all that when you're selling it. Um, and, you know, it makes sense that it's regulated, but in Colorado, it, it really kind of goes overboard. And the reason they do that has a lot to do with uh, sort of perception that, you know, uh, weed is, is in a different class of drugs. You know, a, a lot of people that write these laws don't know the difference between marijuana and heroin. And uh, that is something that, larger companies can kind of exploit because when there's that much rigor applied to a substance, um, more so than uh, I think that here in Colorado, some of the most uh, regulated industries we have is the gambling industry. The marijuana industry is, you know, puts the gambling in industry to shame when it comes to um, sort of extremely um, aggressive kind of, of tracking of the plant. Um, it, for example, in Colorado, if you were to buy and edible, um, that's a product that has, the from plant to sale, has been through several steps of, of processing. Several different plants were, um, you know, combined to make concentrate, which was then combined with other concentrates to make the edible, and all that information has to be on the package. Um, it, so it's sort of like if you were to buy a bottle of vodka and you could trace which individual potato plants um, from the field it came from. In an environment like that, that's a good opportunity for, you know, very large capital to kind of squash um, the uh, smaller businesses. Yeah, and I guess that's that's simply because of the infrastructure and the, uh, the equipment and the personnel required to handle that sort of um, that sort of administration at every step, I would say. I mean, is that is that pretty much what it is? It just makes it a very difficult oversight process and tracking process uh so there's a there's a lean towards you know needing more capital to be able to uh satisfy those tracking regulations exactly exactly tracking and, and that and tracking isn't the only area of regulation where um a high level of scrutiny means that there's a barrier to entry because you're going to need a lot of capital to um to actually you know, play by the rules because the rules are a bit too stringent. Um, and, and I think that's uh, something that Delaware uh, does a good job of is uh, having social equity programs, which is basically the, the logic behind social equity programs is that because there's been so many lives ruined and so much uh, atrocities of the drug war, um, for nonviolent offenses, the people who are most impacted by it um, are the ones that ought to benefit from its legalization. So it's not just now there's this new cannabis industry and it's going to make a bunch of rich old white guys uh, even richer while everybody who has been harmed by the drug war stays behind. We're going to also pull up some of the people that were harmed so that they can um, become the the uh, rich people that are benefiting off this. 
Yeah, I got some information about that too, and I want to talk about that in more detail because I went back. We had uh, Zoe Pichel on uh, several months ago. Uh, she's been a, a big activist in Delaware for this for a long time. I reached back out to her to sort of get more granular information about some of those equity in hiring and in putting businesses together. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about the licensing because built into this licensing program is exactly what you're talking about. So I don't know how this this um, kind of maps over to the initial setup uh, in Colorado. I also don't know, you know, we we have... Uh, medical prescription marijuana here, but it, I know in in, Cal in Colorado it was sort of accelerated, so you had that actually for a period of time too. Um, so I don't, and, and also obviously the population, I, I don't know how that that was broke down. But here's the way uh, Delaware's law will break down as it sits today. So for the first two years, there will be 125 licenses available, split up between four sectors. Uh, cultivation and agriculture will have 60. Manufacture will have 30. Retail will have 30. And laboratory will have five. For the first two years, those are like the caps. But 77 of those 125, so across all of those sectors, uh, will be either social, what they're calling social equity or a micro license, which is, again, just sort of taking the capital requirements down uh, and doing a, a fairly large discount up to 60% um, for particular businesses uh, that meet those requirements. So I think that's the kind of stuff that you're talking about. Um, what what do you have in, in, in Colorado, if anything, to address stuff like this? And what do you think of the way that the Delaware uh, sort of form, format is written as it is today? I think that the Delaware format does a very good job uh, because it uh, not only addresses um, awarding licenses to people who have been disproportionately harmed, but also employing um, people that have been uh, disproportionately, harmed, uh, disproportionately harmed will give you a edge up in getting a license. So I think that the focus on employment is something that's um, absent in lots of other programs, not just in Colorado, but even um, Illinois has a, um, a fairly, uh, they were some of the first to really start um, taking the social equity thing very seriously. And it didn't really uh, roll out all that well for them because they focused strictly on um, license ownership. I still think that in Delaware's program, there could be much more room for um, room for really shaping the industry in a uh, progressive way through this legislation. I think that there could be more done. Um, as I understand it, the uh, as, what's what's written in the law now um, it says uh, if you um, employ um, people of color, people that live. Um, in that municipality, uh, employ veterans and women, um, that gives you an advantage um, in the criteria by which they uh, grade um, licensed applicants. Uh, it also says if you um, have them in ownership positions, that gives you an even greater advantage. Um, and I think that the focus on ownership, although I'm you know, totally for, um, you know, 
uh, people who are disadvantaged getting an advantage in owning businesses and operating that. I'm, I'm for that. But addressing the problem of the prison industrial complex can't really be solved by just adding, well, now we have a new industry, let's have a marijuana industrial complex and we'll let you have a piece of the pie. Um, that can never make a, com a community-wide impact, although it can be very good for certain individuals. Um, I think, uh, you know, when it comes to social equity programs, uh, something that's in the Delaware uh, proposal that um, that I hate to see is that they still will allow um, employers to discriminate against hiring people that fail a drug test. Simply, if you if you let people in a legal state smoke weed so that you couldn't be fired for you know having a smoking a joint on the weekends. Uh, that would make a much greater impact in those communities that have been harmed by uh, um, harmed by prohibition. Yeah, I want to. Uh, so there's a couple of bullet points about basically that go directly towards uh, criminal justice uh, amelioration, I guess you would say, and then a couple that uh, that do sort of at least explain or summarize the idea of. Um, what they're looking for social equity and sort of diversity. So the, the, the first couple are important just to note. Um, there are 10 currently illegal acts pertaining to cannabis, uh, civil and criminal. They'll all be repealed. Uh, provides the expungement for past cannabis personal possession, paraphernalia, and consumption offenses, and it ends civil asset forfeiture for cannabis possession. Now, of course, civil asset forfeiture should be ended for everything, but you know, at least people, at least, it, at least it's written down. We know that it's bad. Um, eliminates the mere possession of cannabis as a law enforcement tool for quote probable cause searches based on the odor of raw cannabis, a justification currently being used by officers to circumvent Fourth Amendment protections against unreasonable search and seizure. Um, so, yeah, all of that's gr all of that's great. The idea that you can still um, be fired for enjoying the uh, you know the thing that you're retailly selling legally is a little bit weird um but yeah so this gets into the the fair and equitable industry now this is a summary written by the advocacy group it's not a finished product but i think it gives a pretty good idea of where the thing stands today so that people kind of have an understanding of what we're talking about when we're talking about like hey if you employ this number of veterans you get a score it, it will be scored and, and and there will be you know um uh, sort of a benefit given um, to folks who try to adhere to these particular guidelines. So I think it's un important to at least understand what they are. Uh, so promotes a fair and equitable industry by establishing an entire social equity section, which carves an avenue for legal participation in an industry by small unregulated retailers and individuals and communities previously adversely impacted by cannabis prohibition. Aside from designating social equity licensing, the bill provides discounted application and licensing fees up to 60% discount and lower capital requirements, as well as technical and financial assistance programs through grants and low interest loan programs for qualified applicants, and also requires data collection and reporting to ensure these provisions are having their intended effect. So I, I, I'm happy that there will be some, well, at least it's written in there, whether there is a rigorous sort of review of like, is this doing what we thought it would be doing? Um, that's yet to be seen. But again, at least it's on paper in some fashion. And, and, and in Colorado, that that um, 
there's a lot of similar sort of legislation. Uh, there's you know limits to the number of licenses that can exist, and there's um, sort of general uh, belief, you might say, that um, because there's a the limit is the state. You can't sell across state lines um, because there's a cap on how many licenses there is. Then what we have is a thriving ecosystem of small businesses that is kind of like, you know, it's like there's a hundred breweries all over the place now. Like now there's going to be a hundred uh, different small like uh, entities in Colorado, where it's usually framed as this, you know, thriving ecosystem of small business. You have uh, in the year now my statistics are a little bit old in 2018. Um, I imagine it's the same, if not worse these days uh, you had, 80% of profits going to five out of just under a thousand licenses. So just because it's a um, smaller, uh, it's operating on a smaller scale, it's still the kind of, um, you know, tycoon versus uh, a smaller, you know, smaller guy uh, dynamic yeah. you see everywhere in capitalism. Yeah. And that's, I guess that was the next sort of the next topic i wanted to bring up because all of this is great but what you see anywhere in capitalism is that any any corporation can you know can be woke and can do you know they can do you know white privilege and you know they can you know hire this many of of this many uh, persons and and vets and 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 they they have ways to make that score come out well but really what it is is just a huge corporation making that score come out well um you know, I, I am glad that they are focusing on micro licensing for cultivation too, uh, and to, to promote you know to, to promote smaller ones because I think that will help. But I wish there was a, I wish there was an explicit uh, sort of mention that that cooperatives and that worker cooperatives uh, would be given the same uh, explicitly the the, the same s score bump. You know, if you said not not only am I as a, as an entity going to hire these people and 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 create you know these are the benefits that we're going to pay and this is how we're going to conduct our business, but also um, we're all going to own it together. Um, you know, it's not explicit right now. Um, I I hope that people start thinking about that. Yeah, in, in the law, I believe it says that there's um, the commissioner who's who is uh, it. it the law doesn't contain the actual um, score uh, criteria that the ah. um, commissioner will be using. It just gives directions of what criteria he ought to put in, and it uh, leaves room for and anything other any other criteria at his discretion. So there is, I think, at this point, still room. I mean, I don't know how much. Uh, I doubt that there's you know protests in the streets saying uh, you know make. Uh, marijuana business uh, yeah. worker ownership a high criteria you know yeah. but but um i think it is the sort of thing that's very flexible that that there's certainly time to do it yeah i do see and in, in zoe's uh, defense there is a, a footnote here that says page 30 line 859 about the uh, the acts of the commissioner so it, does, it is there actually but obviously i didn't go to the i didn't go to the footnote sorry zoe um yeah, so um, the, the you know th there is some good stuff in there uh, for sure. Uh, I will say um, just to give a little um, 
sort of an update on the legislative end, and then we can kind of get into a little more of a freewheeling sort of conversation. So the bill has cleared um, the first committee in Delaware, which is the Health and Human Development Committee. Uh, however, it's been reassigned to an appropriations committee, uh, and I'm getting this information from Delaware Liberal, so this is uh, from their uh, roundup today. Uh, Steve Tanzer, who's uh, pretty pretty locked into this kind of stuff. Um, he said that the House Appropriations Committee, presumably because there will be costs associated with the implementation of the bill, although, of course, it will generate far more revenue for the state than the cost it will be to implement. It has not yet been scheduled for a committee hearing. The members of the Appropriations Committee are also the House members on the Joint Finance Committee. The problem is Speaker Pete Schwartzkopf has appointed... Uh, Lumpy Carson, who uh, to chair the committee, uh, so we're looking at a three-three split. The the chairperson of the committee is a Democrat, William J. Carson, who they call Lumpy for reasons you can probably imagine. Um, he particularly was one of the Democrats who uh, didn't abstained, I believe, from the vote last session or the session before when it came up before, and so was one of the votes that killed the bill the la on last review. So with uh, Carson and the two Republicans on the committee, uh, it looks like a three-three split. Now I don't know what that uh, I don't know what that does from a legislative standpoint, um, but it probably will not uh, surprise you to learn that Speaker of the Delaware House uh, was a former state police officer. Um, this is a this is a, 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 a you know a sticking point in Delaware all the time is all of these. Um, bureaucracies and even the elected officials is just replete with with cops um so they have a, a sort of a huge say in how this gets uh implemented um what was that like in the i, I mean I, you know in colorado there there are, you know, the democrats are generally conservative i mean hickenlooper at the time was a very you know very corporatist sort of neoliberal democrat how, how has it been politically and how has it been, you know, I don't know whether the, the police themselves or what other sort of um, special interests have sort of aligned to just make it more difficult to do um, the things that we would like to do. Yeah, well, um, certainly the case that in Colorado, a lot of the Democrats are, are uh, would you would recognize them as uh, Republicans a few decades ago. They, they have identical kind of. Um, uh, policies and and uh, ideals. Um, there is definitely an imprint in the Colorado law. Uh, some of this you can't blame entirely on the um, government of Colorado. A lot of it does come from the federal prohibition, but um, plenty of it you can blame on Colorado, where uh, laws are written with, um, uh, well, for example, the uh, a law that I've actually worked um, to get changed uh, when I was working in marijuana uh, waste disposal was uh, that all parts of the plant, including the roots, including the like fibrous sticks, stuff that has zero THC content, had to be treated um, as a public safety hazard. That was, you know, it was classified as a threat to public safety and had to be dealt with accordingly. Uh, the law says you had to um, grind it up, pulverize it, make it um, unrecognizable, which is impossible because it smells. <laughs> uh, you know, you're going to recognize what it is. It's it's a ludicrous law. Um, and on top of that, you had to mix it 
with another non-consumable substance before it goes off to the landfill, which means double the volume going to landfills that there ought to be. Um, um, composting it or uh, recycling it at that point was not um, permitted. We were able to, to get that permitted by uh, petitioning the MED, that's Marijuana Enforcement Division, a uh, subsection of the Department of Revenue here in Colorado. Um, and we uh, had a project where we composted the, the leftover materials uh, and turned them back into soil, which uh, then we would use to grow more marijuana and, and have a more sustainable cycle there. Uh, so lots of laws um, uh, that are written prevent um, the uh, prevent a reasonable, uh, you know, sensibly functioning industry. That the uh, scrutiny uh, of making sure that the public threat of marijuana roots. Um, doesn't harm uh, women and children. Now, these kids on these streets do be, they, they will be grinding up those stems and smoking those stems. I mean, that's 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 well known. But is it doing anything? It's not. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it's it goes to this idea that you mentioned before, and this is sort of the next topic, because there's a couple of things I want to talk to about this topic. But perception. Um, a lot of it has to do with just perceptions that people have about what's dangerous or what needs to be addressed when really you don't necessarily know what you're talking about. Um, the first big one was the article that you sent me from a, sort of a, I, I want to, I want to kind of call it like something you'd see on like LinkedIn about like, Hey, you know, this is sort of like how you can do a marijuana business, but it was all about like comparing it to fine dining and basically saying, well, if the waiter, you know, smelled like weed and was wearing a flannel shirt, you know, you'd be very uncomfortable. So you have to run your your cannabis operation real fancy because, you know, no one wants to come in and think they stepped into like, you know, the parking lot of a dead show at the Oakland Coliseum in 79. Right. Like, like, first of all, sometimes it is cool to walk in a place and it feels like a dead show. But like, that's not <laughs> that's not what. You know, that's not what's happening. Um, and, you know, you juxtapose that against uh, just last week, I guess, you know, about a dozen uh, Biden staffers in the Biden administration were dismissed because of past marijuana use, which, again, is, is ridiculous on its face. But it should also indicate uh, the kind of person who is going to be an eager little, you know, Ivy League beaver to get a you know a, a presidential administration you know position, so you can kind of picture what that kind of person is like, and then they just lost their job due to marijuana use. So it sort of shatters that perception that I think is going to be necessary, so we can start talking about like real issues in this sort of in this market. Um, but yeah, I wonder what your thoughts are first of all about that article you sent me, and about sort of the the the. the the corporate framework by which people think this needs to go, and then maybe the Biden thing too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think you make a very good point that um, not only is so the article um, is geared it, it's advice to um, people who have invested in marijuana businesses as to how those businesses ought to appear. And there's a lot of like dog whistle racist things in there, like, you know, pants must be worn at the waist and employees can't like talk in slang. And you know, like, there's a lot of, uh, you know, subtleties that there are hints that not only are um, just, 
you know, gross and boorish and all that, but they're also inaccurate. I mean, I've worked as a bud tender and when you talk like a drug dealer, people are more likely to buy drugs from you, <laughs> you know? Um, and obviously it's a certain, um, you know, depending on your customer, they might not want that. But um, I think that the, the opportunity you have um, going from what I believe is a pretty restrictive, uh, you know, it's pretty tough to get um, access to uh, a medical card in Delaware, um, industry to a industry where, um, weed is something that's, you know, legal recreationally, you have a chance to really shape the kind of culture and all these, uh, all this legislation, including, um, you know, who are the types of people that own businesses really does impact, uh, that culture. I've, like I said, I lived in New York. Um, I'd feel, uh, less like I'm breaking the rules uh, if I'm walking around Brooklyn smoking a joint in broad daylight than I would walking around in, in Denver because public consumption is is not allowed. Um, and I think that uh, when you when you look at the way that um, marijuana is perceived and you know how um, smoking a joint, you know, three weeks before your drug test, if you're a heavy user, that's when you quit and you fail the test. Like you can still get fired for that when, you know, you're completely sober on your job. I think the, um, the reason that uh, people uh, are sort of skeptical to saying, oh, we should, we shouldn't allow you to be fired for uh, failing a, a drug test is because people are worried about, you know, like I don't want my brain surgeon to be high when he's operating on my brain, obviously. But um, there's, you know, with with updates in um, testing and, and uh, you know, make it more accurate. Were you impaired at the time that this accident happened or whatever? Um, I, I think that a lot of those concerns go completely out the window. And even aside from that, um, something like like the culture around alcohol is completely different because, you know, even though we have restrictions, you have to be 21, you can't drink and drive, et cetera. Um, the culture is much more accepting. Um, you know, I don't know anyone that's been fired because they had a glass of scotch on the weekend. Um, but I do know people that have lost their jobs or lost employment opportunities because they've, they've, uh, used marijuana. And that's something that, uh, you know, I think that is the kind of thing that the culture around marijuana use in a legal state is part of the social equity. It's not just the um, financial compensation that you, or, or, you know, the profits made from selling weed. It's the way that you're able to live your life and use, use it as medicine, use it for fun, use it whatever, without, um, you know, having the book thrown at you or without losing access to your employment. Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to mention regarding Biden uh, is the, the 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 federal schedule one uh you know no, it's, it's marijuana and cannabis is still on schedule one federally is that i know when i was out in denver and uh a couple three three years ago maybe four years ago and i've been to seattle um you know just different places that it's been perfect you know legal to walk in and and uh, do it they've had trouble with banking and just regular business banking 
because of the Schedule 1 uh, listing. Is that still the case? And if 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 it even if it is or it isn't, like what are some of the things uh, that are that are being used as workarounds, if any, while the while this still stays on Schedule One? Yeah, so there are um, there, there are banks that are specifically uh, have have cropped up to meet that market of um, of marijuana businesses because most major banks won't won't touch the money um so there's uh safe harbor is the name there's there's several out of florida of all places um that checks out yeah <laughs> um, you know where I, I don't know maybe they have medical there now i don't, I don't know but like, what the um situation is but yeah like it, it's uh kind of kind of an odd um uh thing to cough up that out of florida uh there's these companies that um do a lot of you know i i wish jordan howell were here our, our colleague and friend and comrade jordan howell because he does a lot of um a lot of work around the llc and uh sort of tax haven situation we have here and i believe that you can that there are llc's registered in delaware for the you know for the the tax benefit that are associated with marijuana businesses. I don't, I can't, I, I, I think I had that conversation with him and maybe we'll double check it and Carl can put a footnote in here that, you know, I've gone and done it again, you know, and said something stupid. But I, I, I believe that that's true and I'm not surprised by it because obviously we'll let some things go, you know, sort of and turn the other way on it. Um, but but yeah, I think that's going to be an issue uh, issue here too. Is you know the the financing end of it, not necessarily financing, but just being able to have a cash flow, you know, sort of in and out of a shop you're running or a grow that you're running. Um, you know, it's just going to make something uh, even more difficult. I, I'm I'm I don't know because we have because the medical um, part of it that we have in Delaware is so small and and more or less insignificant um when it gets bigger and and, and these licenses go out for retail recreational use i, I i'm i always wonder how that's going to work because i know other places have had uh big problems with it yeah certainly and i mean you know the the fact that it's still schedule one um uh well speaking of companies inexplicably based in florida there's uh this uh company called metric that um, a lot of states use. California just adopted it, although they weren't using it before. Uh, Colorado has already has always had it, and uh, half a dozen other states um, use use this uh, firm from Florida that tracks every individual marijuana plant and uh, basically has uh, the state mandates you as a marijuana business uh, hand all your data over to this company that's based in Florida so that, and they're, they're a sort of uh, inventory managing service more or less, um, which is uh, only justifiable if there is federal prohibition. If you really do need to track every single plant to make sure that none of it ends up on the black market. If there is no black market, that kind of scrutiny uh, need not apply, but I doubt this Florida-based company is just gonna say, oh yeah, all this, you know, the, the state mandates that all these dispensaries give this their sales data. 
oh, that's no longer necessary. We're, we don't need to do that. You know, I, I think that they're going to keep. Yeah, I'm sure whatever venture capitalist firm is behind that uh, operation uh, has some sort of, you know, nefarious, dark lobbying arm who's paying somebody something to make sure that they can continue to do business, I imagine. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And, and even if um, even giving them the benefit of the doubts, even if they do believe that what they're doing um, is good, just the incentive structure um, you know, a lot of uh, uh, consulting firms, a lot of like regulatory compliance, um, which is the area of the industry that I'm in right now. A lot of people, you know, they really support. They say, all right, use metric. Like, you know, even if you're in a state that uh, doesn't mandate metric, use metric anyway, because they are what we know. We know how their software works. We know how their tracking system goes. So when we, uh, you know, advise the state of Delaware hires, uh, you know, consultants to come in and help um, create the legislation. Several states have, have done this, several, uh, even nations. I know Mexico has uh, hired consultants. Um, what they'll say, um, even though there's no, you know, it's not like uh, metric is paying them to say, yes, to use metric, because that's what they're familiar with. They will, um, you know, because that's what makes them money, uh, gets them more business, they'll advise it. So the incentive structures, even if there's not a, um, you know, uh, a evil lair where they all smoke cigars and laugh at the poor people, you know, they're, they're yeah, still- it's just a systemic, like it's, yeah, it's not as, um, it's not actually as nefarious. There's no like, uh, conspiracy. It's just very like banal, but you know, I don't just, put it past, you know, you never know. There might be, know. Yeah, you know, that's true. there might be so, that layer somewhere. I, I believe in it. So what is it that you're doing now on the compliance side? Like what I, I find this interesting, um, just because I worked a little governance and compliance before. I wonder how that, um, like how that segues, how that segs into like this industry. And I mean, I assume you're just looking at numbers and, and tracking and doing QA on, you know, spreadsheets. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but, um, but, it's, but, but is that uh, like, how, what, what are you doing? That's pretty cool. Yeah, my area is uh, in a different different end. So I, I do um, responsible vendor training. So in Colorado, um, I don't believe there's anything like this uh, in the Delaware Delaware laws, which I believe is a good thing, honestly. Um, uh, in Colorado, they have a program where um, if there's an infraction, and the way the rules are written, there's going to be an infraction. You know, if somebody comes to your dispensary and says, Oh, you know, this vape cartridge, it's not hitting right because they never hit right. <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> uh, we've all been there. Uh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and they say, I want to return it. And then it's a new guy there. He, he, uh, and he says, okay, yeah, sure. You can return it and give you your money back. Well, that's a $100,000 fine. Yeah. I actually, I was in Seattle. Uh, so, Washington has something similar. Because the same thing, I was like, I don't think this is working. It's like, ah, oh, there's nothing we can do. Sorry. Like once it's once that's that, that's that. I like, you know. So yeah, I'm familiar with that. So you're so all of oh, those. Let's get into the conversation about um, uh, fine dining. I, I can talk about uh, um, using it to uh, in, infuse foods when it doesn't hit right. But um, so uh, back to responsible vendor training. So when there's infractions, as there always are, um, if the company uh, hires an outside training service to make sure that their employees are well-trained on the laws, 
that is considered a mitigating factor and your fines can be reduced. Um, a lot of people do it uh, proactively, um, but uh, it's, it's a, a system that has several flaws. I mean, if it's a company is operating, it ought to be on them to train their employees. Uh, the state giving um, preference to companies, um, giving them uh, you know reduced fines for being able to hire an outside person to come in. Because again, a lot of these you know companies are really like they don't have access to the banking, they don't have access to like the resources that they would need to come and hire somebody else to train for them. Um, it, it's just not the not the best system. And and having worked in it um, and. Uh, I, I've actually uh, written to the MED, uh, Marijuana Enforcement Division, to um, uh, sort of address address some of these issues. And um, I, I don't uh, expect to be, or I hope not to be, um, uh, working um, in this area of industry. Although I do think there is, obviously, there's some, you know, it's good to have your employees trained. There is some value to that. But the structure under which is trained where there's preference given to the businesses that can pay for a responsible vendor certified uh, person to come in um, that, that doesn't really uh, shake out that well. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm always on edge because, you know, even the, the dispensaries that exist today uh, in Delaware, there, you know, there's not many of them. They're very corporate. Um, so I'm just hoping that, we can kind of break and maybe not having a system like that that sort of allows for or it's to your benefit to, 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 to have a corporate structure and to have capital to be able to sort of outsource stuff to get your get your discounts and train your people and, and do all of that. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm that's the kind of stuff I'm trying to avoid. But in your situation, um, you know, uh, it's certainly I mean, you've you've now done it all, really. And I guess we will segue into the into the food thing. So like. Were you were you a home cook before, and this is something that you you got into yourself? Did you just go uh, work somewhere that was doing it? How did this transpire? What was it? What's it about? Give me give me the give me the story. Well, so again, because of the way that uh, marijuana is regulated, um, home cooking is something that is it, 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 there's not really any commercial element to it. Right. Um, uh, in order to sell an edible, uh, you have to have it in a childproof package. It has to be labeled and tested with exactly the amount of THC, which is an important thing. You know, you, you wouldn't want someone who's never smoked weed before. They're on vacation in Colorado, go to a restaurant, order, you know, uh, 200 milligrams and have a panic attack. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I really got started just as, as a uh, home cook. Um, I also am uh, really into cooking with fan leaves and using the like actual marijuana plant, even though there's no um, psychoactive component to it. Uh, it's full of vitamins and nutrients, and it's um, a perfectly good uh, use of leaves that otherwise end up in the trash. Um, and uh, yeah, right right now it would be um, un it's still illegal just because they're fan leaves from a marijuana plant, even though there's no THC content or psychoactive component whatsoever. Um, a dispensary would not be able to uh, sell those leaves um, unless they were like tested with their potency being zero and 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 all that. Or um, you know, th there's really a, a big limit to sort of um, the industry building 
um, a big limit on what can be um, accomplished at a commercial level. Uh, so when I do um, uh, marijuana-infused dining, um, I was working at a dispensary up until the pandemic hit, then I switched over to the uh, doing the training online. Um, and we were uh, beginning plans for, um, although it never really panned out uh, due to COVID, to do uh, THC cooking classes at the dispensary where um, it's nothing's infused actually there, um, nothing's being sold or, or anything, but it's just sort of teaching people about it because it's a healthier way to consume marijuana, frankly, um, yeah. than smoking is. Yeah, is it mostly baking, or are you doing, like, sauces and all kinds of, like, uh, or is it mostly, like, candies, baking, sort of edibles, like the you would you would think of it? Because I know that there's, I've seen, you know, obviously, you can get the cookie, you can get the, the gummy bear, et cetera, et cetera, uh, but I've seen, you know, where, you know, you can get a, a, an entree, you know, get some get some beef with a, with a sauce that's infused with, uh, you know, ha hash oil or something. So, yeah, were you doing all of that? Um, yeah, much more on the um, cooking side rather than the baking side. Right. Uh, I I like to make bread. I'm not really much of a baker, not really much into sweets. Um, and that's one of the things when it comes to buying edibles, it's almost all candies. And then you have like a few novelty, you know, like I've seen THC infused buffalo jerky, you know, like there's that they do have a little bit of, of everything. And there is some creativity over on the commercial side. But um, yeah, for the most part, I mean, you know, there's shows uh bong appetit is one of the most prominent but there's several um that uh will you know do this sort of uh almost like rachel ray kind of like here we're cooking with this chef you know and he's uh infusing yeah, i've, I've seen some of those or something yeah like yeah i'm like that's wild stuff i it's yeah. i'm i'm um i don't do a lot of edibles it's fun um you know, I, I just for some reason it's the it's the dosage thing. You know, if you can just smoke a little bit, um, you know, you know what you know, you know pretty soon what's going on. You can smoke a little bit more or whatever. Um, the edible thing, I I never I never. Uh, it's sort of like a, I guess it's a delay because it's a digestive thing rather than in your lungs, and it's just like, I don't know. I never got I never got into it. Yeah, because it's metabolized by the liver. The way that your personal metabolism works really impacts how, first off, how long it takes to kick in. Um, so, uh, and also how strong it is when it does kick in. Um, some people actually uh, just lack the enzyme that breaks down the THC and they, you know, could eat a thousand milligrams and not feel it. Um, other people, 10 milligrams will put them on the floor. So, so, and that's another thing. Um, actually, I noticed there's a, uh, uh, something I'm a little confused by in the, uh, Delaware law where it says that the maximum amount of um, of it per package of edibles is 50 milligrams. Um, and then it says, when it's talking about liquid um, edibles, it's 500 milligrams, which is a very big difference, you know, yeah. uh, after 10. Um, so I wonder if that indicates that in Delaware, there might be more... Um, more openness to um, to uh, the edible side of the industry. Um, the, the edibles are the one area of the industry that is has really not grown much 
from when it initially set out in Colorado. Um, all other areas, uh, I think, well, I think um, fresh flower sales have uh, decreased slightly in favor of uh, concentrates and just, you know, more yeah. fancy things. Um, but uh the net sales have gone up basically edibles have stayed at a sort of flat line. And I think that's because of regulation. And that gets back into the way that the laws really shape the culture of use. And I would like to be able to, you know, I'm on vacation in Denver and, uh, you know, before I go out and go skiing, I get a THC infused hamburger. And I think that the concerns over, you know, uh, you know, a novice that, that really shouldn't have more than five milligrams to, to start off with, um, you know, that kind of thing can be um, implemented, even if you're not really measuring the exact THC percentage that's, you know, that you don't send that hamburger off to a lab to get tested the same way you do when you buy chocolates and gummy bears. Yeah. And, and my, you know, my, my thing is too, everybody's just sort of, it's a perception thing as well. Like everybody kind of needs to relax. Um, you know, it, certainly eating eating too much of an edible can really uh, can really put you put you there, put you in a place, a, a particular kind of place. You said panic attack before, like you know, I don't I don't get them really anymore, but I get it. Like I I know people can do you know do too much and and not feel good, um, but but you cannot OD people. You can't overdose. I've been trying my entire life every day. I try, I'm running a a daily uh, experiment to try to do it. And apparently you can't, it can't be done. So, yeah, I mean, I, I tell people when I, when I go into these, cause I don't, you know, I, obviously it's not a daily experience, but I've been to, you know, Amsterdam and different places in, in, in Holland, uh, Seattle, Denver, et cetera. And yeah, I mean, everybody's like, well, this is uh, this percentage of THC and this is 10 grams. I'm just like, just give me the most potent sativa you have. It's like, I'm not a chemist. I don't need to know all of this stuff. But but that's kind of what's cool about the about the uh, retail thing is you can find, you know, you can you can just you know do what you like, you know, have fun with it. There are places that look like the Apple Store, and there are places that look like you know, uh, I don't know, my studio. Like you know, it's just yeah, it's just you know, be, as long as it's as as long as it's still sort of like that, and, and we can sort of break the spell of, like you know, the perceptions we were talking about before of what you know what it really is. Speaking of perception and, and um, overdose, so part of the responsible vendor curriculum, because it's mandated by the state, um, you have to address uh, like uh, marijuana overdose, marijuana addiction, all that. And you're talking, so, you know, from my perspective, I'm going in, I've got a room full of bud tenders or a Zoom meeting full of bud tenders that have to sit through this hour-long presentation of stuff that most of which they already know and it's really boring. And the very first thing out of my mouth by law has to be, let's talk about marijuana addiction and marijuana overdose. So if I'm going to get anyone to pay attention or teach anyone anything, they don't just check out at that point. Um, a lot of times what I talk about is comparing it to coffee. A lot of times when people compare uh, weed regulation, they compare it to alcohol. You know, there's age restriction is 21. And that does make sense, I think. But I think a more appropriate drug to compare it to, um, and I think a more appropriate way to sort of conceptualize it uh, is more like coffee. If you never drink any coffee, um, and then for the first time in your life, you drink an entire gallon, you're going to have a very bad time. 
probably won't kill you, although it could if you really pushed it. Um, yeah. And yeah, caffeine actually uh, the dosage of caffeine that could put you in a in a health problem is actually uh, much lower than than marijuana. But but your point is well taken. I think uh, yeah, yeah, it's actually a good point. Yeah, and I I do compare. You know, there is such a thing as marijuana addiction, just the same way as there is a, such a thing as caffeine addiction. Where it's yeah, if you stop it, you might not have the nicest day the next day if you've been using it for you know every day of the year and then suddenly quit. You know, you, you'll be a little bit grumpy, a little bit groggy, maybe. But I think that um, that kind of perception is a much. That's the one that I want to see it like is, is more like coffee than it is like alcohol, uh, where it's something where it's like, yeah, if it helps you get through work, you know, do it. If it makes you more productive, do it. If it's something that doesn't make you more productive and it helps you relax, great. That's also fine, you know? Um, yeah, I have never heard that um, that uh, analogy before, and I think it's exactly right. I, you know, I've always kind of struggled with, tr- with trying to give somebody who just either, you know, just doesn't smoke weed, never has, doesn't know a lot about it, or has a sort of a societally conditioned sort of uh, vague uh, aversion to it, but not really sure why. And maybe it's just like reefer madness kind of Cheech and Chong stuff. Um, But yeah, the coffee thing actually actually fits pretty nicely because, yeah, I don't think people understand, and I've said this on the podcast before, you know, I'm a stoner, I smoke every day. Um... You know, and I can get work done. I can go out. I can read. I can do this. Like, I just, it's a, more for an anxiety thing and just feeling a little lighter and not feeling wound up and irritable. Um, but I don't think there's a lot of people that don't realize that a lot of people do that. Like, that it's not a, you know, you don't smoke a joint and get zoned out every time and stare at the wall or look at a poster or put music on or talk to a plant. Like, that's not what's going on. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that all of these conversations and, and all of the sort of experiments that people are doing and, and the people that uh, are, are talking about it and, and teaching people about it, I, I hope it really does, you know, I, I hope that the spell is broken because it's very silly. Um, it's, it's hurt a lot of people's lives. I mean, you and I are, are you know, very fortunate to be able to, you know, sort of have a pretty liberal education and then you know develop sort of leftist views and be able to um you know be in positions where we could do this kind of stuff where you know a lot of people aren't in those positions and so yeah i mean we talked about kicking this off you know there has to be a perception change and we have to right a lot of a lot of wrongs that have been done and and the laws are pretty changeable. The laws, I mean, as working on the regulatory side, I'm very busy because the laws change all the time. And that is a good thing because it helps, um, you know, in, increase. Uh, I know we're getting uh, short on time here, but I do want to mention um, one last thing is that uh, when it comes to like worker ownership, a great place. Where, and this goes for um, cannabis across all states um, because most of the rule changes that um, happen when they change rules, it's not, okay, now we can have 15 milligrams as a serving instead of 10 or whatever. It's uh, laws regarding selling businesses, regarding the sort of financialization part of the market. And it would be great to see, I um, believe this is in Italy, uh, programs where it's, uh, if there is an owner who's about to sell a business, 
the workers get right of first refusal. I think, and this is a, a space that's open where, where legislation could be put in that would really encourage worker ownership and I think would take the industry in a great direction. Yes, uh, I've, I've mentioned it before. It's called uh, Marcora Law in Italy. Um, it, it's applied to, to everything, but it, it allows redundant workers to actually band together and purchase um, uh, businesses that are available. Um, I learned from uh, Professor Richard Wolf. Thank you, Professor Wolf. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's what I was going to say. This is really, and, and, and Zoe mentioned it in her email to me um, today, was that they look at it as a, as a good first step. The things are there and being talked about that are good. It's not perfect. Um, they they understand that. They understand that, you know, um, negotiations have to be done. But there are people willing to sort of, to sort of take this opportunity as something that's brand new, a brand new big market, and and sort of shape it the way we think will be equitable and beneficial for people, for the people who who want to use marijuana who maybe want to get into farming who uh you know just need need an equitable chance at something new and this is an opportunity to do that because it is brand new and you know i'm pretty excited about it are you i mean what's the i know originally the revenue was sort of like through the roof and your uh the the setup in in colorado was to like funnel that right to the department of education is that right is that and is that still happening how does that work and and are the revenues are the state revenues from taxes and licensing fees um, how are they are they still rising? Have they plateaued? Um, I this isn't really my area of expertise, but I can speak to at least one part is that the um, the taxes come largely from uh, sales tax um, and, and come come from the point of sale. I mean, it's uh, taxed at I believe twenty seven percent on top of whatever the price in the store is. I think that's where a lot of the revenue comes from as opposed to just from um, licensing fees and applications. Because like I said, there's there's lots of caps on um, how many licenses there can be. But uh, it, this isn't really my area of expertise. So maybe I, I should yeah, Fair enough, fair enough. And again, I think I, I will say that I, I got into a little back and forth with the governor's spokesperson a few months ago about this and yeah i i you know the, the fact of the matter is whether it's you know whether it's a a great you know financial decision that will fill the coffers of the state or whether it's more or less neutral um it's irrelevant really uh you know it's it's something that people enjoy uh like coffee or or whatever or or alcohol too um so yeah i mean and so there's going to be a new niche in the market, um, and we have an opportunity to make it progressive, you know, to make sure that people can unionize where they work, to make sure that they can perhaps come together as a cooperative and run something together, but all of that stuff, and, 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 and it can't be an opportunity that we miss. And luckily, the culture around it is, um, I mean... Not for nothing. Most of the stoners are pretty cool. You guys have probably noticed we're we're, we're pretty cool. Um, so yeah, it's it, so it's starting a market around a lot of people who are creative people, who are people people, and they have a spirit, and and they and it's they're they're not all about the individual. Um, so yeah, I just I I hope for the best. Um, yeah, before we go, give us the um, give us the Instagram, the culinary stuff you were talking about, because I want to I want I want to rep that. 
That's uh, TH Culinary. Um, have been active on it very much uh, since the pandemic happened, not doing much um, in the way of, you know, uh, cooking classes or anything like that in person, of course. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting that, um, getting a whole lot more this spring. Um, and yeah, it's just, just uh, all different, my, my infused cooking adventures. So Nice. Check it out. David, thank you very much for joining. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, everyone, uh, I hope you uh, enjoyed our conversation. We're going to be talking more about this bill. Uh, we're going to be talking more about all kinds of legislation coming up in the next week or two uh, with Dustin Thompson of the Sierra Club and with uh, Delaware United. And, um, yeah, a lot of progressive stuff on the horizon. We have to stay on top of these legislators because, you know, if we don't, don't they get they're very easily distracted so stay on top of all of these legislators now. Call yours. Tell them to support this stuff, and tell them you know the stuff that we talked about. You want these. You want this kind of stuff considered within the legislation because now is the time. Uh, we have a big opportunity here. So uh, do that. Uh, sign up as a patron for the show. That would be cool. Uh, Highlands Bunker uh, on Patreon slash the Highlands Bunker. Uh, you know how to follow us on Twitter at Highlands Bunker. Uh, and keep uh, keep supporting the Delaware call. We really appreciate the uh, feedback we're getting. Uh, we're trying to do something a little bit different. I know, you know, a lot of people are very nervous about it. You know, they don't they don't understand what's happening because it's outside their, you know, their their their, their small lane. Uh, but we're trying to do something different with independent media. So we appreciate you checking out the Delaware call too, um, David. Once again, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yep. Left is best, everyone.